Grant Baldwin, welcome to Where Others Won't. Cody, thanks for letting me hang out with you, man. Yeah, man. Doing the cross-border thing. Uh, where are you <laughs> in the world at the moment? Uh, at the moment, uh, I'm in a, I live outside Nashville, Tennessee uh, with my lovely wife and three daughters. So it's me and a house full of women, which is awesome. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's where, that's where we find ourselves today. <laughs> We're going to talk about all things communication, keynote speaking, how to get into speaking, uh, lessons from standing up on stage and delivering messages. But let's start here. So you used to host a podcast called How Did You Get Into That? Which is a great name. Yeah. And I interview a lot of head coaches across the sporting world and that's the first question that I ask them because I'm really curious about like what's the career path because there's no real standard trajectory for them to get into that. So I'm going to flip the question on you. Yeah. Becoming a keynote speaker. How did you get into that? Yeah. So if we go, if we go back in time, um, in, uh, in high school, I was really involved in my local church and my youth pastor had a really big impact on my life and was a great speaker and great communicator. And, and, uh, I was like, I want to do that. That, that seems cool. And so, um, eventually worked at a, a local church and was doing a lot of speaking there. And it's just one of those things I felt like I was, I was decent at, wanted to do more of, but just had no idea what to do from there. And so met a couple of other guys who were speakers and, and just kind of stalked them and try to figure out the, the ins and outs of the business and how do you book gigs and how do you know how much to charge and who hires speakers? What do you speak about? Like that, just that whole world just, uh, seemed and seems for a lot of people just like this big mysterious bubble. Uh, and so learned a lot and eventually started doing a couple gigs, went from zero gigs to one gig and one gig to two gigs and two to a bunch. And, uh, to the point where I was doing 60 or 70 gigs a year and it was great. It was awesome. And actually at the time, um, when I was doing that many gigs, I was doing a lot, uh, on the topic of careers. And so I actually had a lot of people who were asking me like, Hey, how did you get into that? I was like, that's a cool, that's a cool question. Um, because people like they use that exact question, so I, I, I created that that podcast you reference uh, called "How Did You Get Into That?" Asking other people like that same type of question. So we interviewed like uh, an NBA mascot and interviewed um, uh, one of the guys who worked at Nike designing one of the Air Jordans. Um, we worked uh, interviewed a, a a Lego master builder, like one of the top Lego professionals in the world, you know. And so just these unique type of careers, like you're saying, like all right, how, how do you go about getting into that? And so. Uh, yeah, so I was doing about 70 some gigs a year, loved it. And then was just having a lot of people asking me like, Hey, how do I do that? More than how did you get into that? I want to know how I get into it. Uh, and some people wanted to speak full time. And there's also a lot of people who'd say, I don't, you know, I don't want to speak full time. I got something going already, but I wouldn't mind speaking, you know, five times a year or three times a year, 10 times a year. But again, I just have no idea. How do you actually book gigs? And so, uh, that's when we started the, the training company that we run today called the speaker lab, where we teach people the, the ins and outs, the business of speaking. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, kind of how we got our start. Did you ever interview a toothbrush designer by any chance? Um, uh, <laughs> not a toothbrush designer. I mean, we interviewed some like unique cats for sure. Like there's yeah. some unique people there and unique careers. Um, the so toothbrush I'll, I'll, designer I'll add, doesn't I'll, ring a bell. I'm assuming there's a story behind it though. <laughs> well, I'll add context to that. So someone was asking me about my quirks recently and I was, I started thinking about it. I'm like, the only real quirk that I have is that I want my toothbrush to be green. So I only have green toothbrushes. Green is just my favorite color and it's something that they tend to produce them in generally green, blue and pink. Um, but and I started thinking like that must be a job. Like, someone's job. Someone's yeah. doing it, right? Like, okay, so I got to, but I got to understand. So, like, if you're, like, you won't buy a toothbrush unless it's green. Correct. 
All right. So you're on the road, you're traveling, you're speaking at something. Oh crap. You forgot your toothbrush. You're under the store. They don't have green. What, what do you do? Look, you know what? In, in emergency circumstances, when the bellboy needs to bring me up, whatever they have down at the front <laughs> desk, I'll, I'll probably do a, a white toothbrush. You know, one of those ones is like folds up, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're yep, always really yep. like half-assed. Yep. <laughs> I, I will do that. It's okay. not that I won't use them. I, I just wouldn't buy one that was a different color. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. That's interesting. Good to know. <laughs> so anyway, that got me started down this, like, that's a job, like someone at yeah. Oral-B, that's all they do. And I've never run into that person at a party. So now I'm trying to seek one out and, and maybe get them on the show one day. Man, if I knew one, I'd be sending them your way. If you're listening and you know someone whose sole job is to design toothbrushes and who makes the bristles go a certain way, contact me. I want to speak to that person. Somebody's doing it. Yeah, Somebody's they out are. There. Um, speaking, communicating. Is like that's your job, really. The, the the you know standing on stage and all the the kind of bells and whistles. At the end of the day, your job is to deliver key messages, and it's something that we don't really learn. We don't really teach. You know, even right. thinking about school, we kind of you know we have the one stand up presentation that we do in English class or whatever it is. But other than that, uh, there isn't really a lot of avenues, and it it just reminds me in kind of designing this show. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Professor Damien. Hughes wrote this book called The Winning Mindset. And I remember highlighting this passage over and over and over again. He talks about how a doctor essentially goes through a decade of training on technical skills, but their real job is to communicate and they've got to communicate tough messages and fast messages and, and, but they never, they don't take a communications course. So I'd love to know, you know, you've been doing this for a decade and communicating and learning how to inflect your voice and, and deliver different messages. And you talk about such a broad range of things. So I'd love just, what have you learned over the, the 10 plus years that you've been doing that, that coaches and leaders in the workplace and, and people in different vocations can latch onto just communicating? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, a couple of things. One, I'd, I'd say in that role, like as a coach or as a leader, I think one of the things you have to recognize is it's more than, let's say, you know, drawing X's and O's, or it's more than, you know, designing something, a play, or it's, it's more than, um, you know, working with your other coaches or your players or your athletes or whatever it may be that you have to recognize that, okay, part of my skill set and part of what I need to be doing is communicating. And so I need to take that more seriously versus thinking like, ah, it's just, you know, uh, I don't really, I'm not good at it or I, it's not important or it doesn't matter because it does. It absolutely does matter. And so recognizing, first of all, that this is a very key, important asset and a skill set that you can have that can really make a big difference in the performance of your, of your team or your athletes uh, can really make a huge difference for you just uh, overall. So one, just start by recognizing that and start by taking it, taking it seriously and it's something that you can continue to improve on. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I think is important to, to recognize is that uh, speaking is a skill like any other and that the way that you get better is that you practice, right? So in the way that you, uh, any type of sport, the way that you get better uh, at throwing a baseball or the way you get better at shooting a basketball or throwing a football or a golf swing or any number of things, the way that you get better is that you do it. I personally, I, I have a big golf fan. Uh, I'm not that great, but I'm, I'm doing my best to get better. <laughs> and so I know one of the best things that I can do is do more than watch. YouTube videos, do more than read a book, do more than read a, um, uh, a golf magazine with some swing tips on it. Like the best thing I can do is to get out there and swing a club. 
and learn from that. And so the same thing is true for speaking, right? So you can you can read about speaking, you can learn about speaking, you listen to this podcast about speaking, but one of the best things you can do is just to to speak and to take action on it. Uh, and so and also recognize that again it's something that you can continually improve on. So look for ways that you can improve. So one of the other things I would say is that uh, one of the best things you can do to uh, get better as a speaker is to practice and to prepare. So whenever you're delivering a message, whenever you're, you're talking to a team or you're giving a presentation, that you're doing more than just, well, I'm going to you know, scribble a couple thoughts in the napkin or I'm just going to, you know, shoot off the top of my head and hopefully it all works out. Like there's maybe a time and place for that. But as a general rule, if you're getting a, giving a, you know, a a very important message, like it's important to think that through, to practice it, to rehearse it, to prepare it. So by the time you get in front of the audience, whether that's an audience of a couple people or, or, you know, hundreds of people that you, that you have thought it through, that you've prepared and that the the message is ready to go rather than just like, I just hope I'm like, I hope I I get up there and it all just magically works out. Like it, it just doesn't work like that. Like the best, um, the same thing with like, like an athlete, you know, if you never practiced, if it was like, I don't need to practice, I'm a good enough athlete. Like let's, let's take like a, a LeBron James. Okay. LeBron has some, some physical, um, uh, um, uh, abilities that you and I were not born with Cody. Like he is a large, <laughs> large man. Uh, and he is naturally very athletic, ac- athletically gifted, but there, if he'd never practiced and he just said, well, I'm just not naturally a good athlete, that, that's going to carry him for a little ways. But there's also going to come a point where like he's, if he's not practicing, he's not improving, he's not working on the craft, he's not going to get any better. So the reason that he spends so much time in the gym and so much time taking care of himself is because it makes the, you know, the, the, uh, how long's the basketball game? Forty-eight minutes. Forty-eight minutes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So if it if it makes it uh you know it makes those forty-eight minutes that he's potentially on the court that much better because of how much he practiced and prepared ahead of time. So again, same thing is true for a speaker. Like we, or another example might be like a, a comedian, for example. If you've ever seen a good comedian, like we think like oh they just get up and they wing it, they're just naturally funny. And yeah, certainly there's there's some natural um parts of their personality or, or charisma that makes them funny. But there's also the part of it that you don't see all of the work that went into it behind the scenes. So those type of things can really, really make a, a significant difference as well. Uh, one other thing I'd, I'd add to that is the value of telling stories. Like as human beings, we relate to stories. We connect with stories. We are drawn to stories. So if I said right now, all right, Cody, I want to tell you a quick story. Uh, immediately, most people are just drawn in. We're hooked in. We don't know where the story is going to go. This could be funny. It could be sad. It could be depressing. It could be interesting. It could be motivational. It could be dull. We have no clue where the story is going to go, but we are drawn to stories. And people remember stories as well. Like if you've ever noticed, uh, if you've ever been to a conference or a presentation, there's oftentimes where you can listen to that message. You can listen to that talk. You can leave. And an hour later, you're like, I don't remember hardly anything what they talked about. But you can probably remember a couple of the key stories that they told, and it helps you to remember what the point of the story was. Uh, and the same thing is true whenever you are delivering a message to your team or to your, uh, to your company or whatever it may be, that use stories because stories are things that can relate, that humans can relate to, but it's also the type of things that makes uh, what you deliver much more memorable. 100%. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned stand-up comedians because I was going to add that point as well. I've learned so much, even just the process of watching comedians in cars getting coffee where Jerry yeah. Seinfeld goes and actually talks about the artistry 
and they and they kind of practice jokes on each other in a show and it's just like 14 15 minutes but you just you see how much goes into it behind the scenes and the thought and the practice and they talk about being on stage at 6 a.m going across yeah. the city going on stage again at 8 a.m like uh yeah you, it really rams home the practice element and you yep. just get to see the Netflix special with Ricky Gervais, but you haven't seen the 200 hours where they've just been iterating and iterating on just that one bit, like one 60 minute bit. Yep. And, and yeah, it's, it's fascinating to learn about that, but just rams home how little we do in the rest of the world where we, we think that the technical skill is what's carrying us but it really should be the communication that's carrying us. Very much so. And so uh, a good example, like on the comedy aspect is uh, if you're looking for a good documentary sometime, go watch the documentary called Comedian uh, and it's by Jerry Seinfeld. And I think it's on, it has been on Netflix. I don't know if it is there currently, but uh, the premise is basically uh, Seinfeld is working on material for his next comedy special, the net, next Netflix type special that he's going to do. Uh, and so you see him going from like small club to small club of, you know, 50 people, 100 people, uh, and he's just trying material and he's bombing. Like he's telling a joke and it's not funny. And he's telling a joke and nobody laughs. And he's telling a joke and like forgetting the punchline. And like he's just testing stuff. He's just experimenting. He's just practicing. So by the time you see him give that, that polished Netflix special, you think like, oh, he just got up and it just magically worked out like that. Like it didn't, you know, right. in the same way that any team taking the field, like, wow, they just did that play. They, they did that play. And it's like, everyone knew where they were supposed to be just magically. No, no, no. no. Like that was practiced over and over and over again. I mean, you can take again, like a LeBron or any, any professional athlete, they've been playing that sport for most of their lives. They are extremely good at what it is that they do. But the reason they are so good and the reason that they are so dialed in is because of the practice, because of the walkthrough. Like they're professionals. Like why, why do they need to walk it through? Because they just want to get it so ingrained so that by the point they get up on the field that, 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 that uh, it's like second nature to them, right? That they're, they're locked in. It reminds me, um, do you know um, uh, maybe a mutual friend of ours, Alan Stein? I do. Junior? I do know. Yeah. So he, he's kind of in this space. I remember uh, interviewing him and he was telling a story. Um, and I think he should share this a few other places publicly, but he, he was talking about, he comes from the, the coaching world where he used to do some like strength and conditioning coaching for um, NBA basketball players. And so he had the opportunity uh, years ago to go to a, a private uh, practice with Kobe Bryant. And Kobe was, was working on some stuff and, and he was invited to come. And so uh, it was going to be like a, like a 4 a.m. Um, and I may be mistelling this, but the, the, you'll get the I'm general I'm pretty premise. sure it was 4 a.m. Yeah, so something like 4 a.m. Um, where he's going to go to a, uh, a private practice with Kobe and his trainer. And so, so Alan was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get there early. I mean, this is Kobe Bryant. I'm going to get there at like 3.30. Uh, so he gets there at like 3.30. And, and again, I'm, I may be butchering parts of this, but the uh, idea was like, you know, Kobe had already been there. He'd already been working out, like, you know, even long before uh, Alan got there way early. Um, and so he's watching him and he said he's working on all these like simple footwork drills just over and over and over again on these like simple basic stuff that you teach elementary kids how to do. And so he said after the practice, he had a chance just to talk with him for a minute. And so he's, he's asking Kobe Bryant, he said, Kobe, you're, you're one of the best basketball players on the planet. Why are you doing all these simple footwork drills? Uh, and his answer was something to the effect of, you know, why do you think I'm one of the best basketball players on the planet? Uh, it's because I'm doing these simple things and it's just be the practice, the practice, the practice, the repetition over and over and over that makes it look simple. It makes it look natural. It makes it look easy and effortless, but it's because of the practice that you didn't see that led to what you see on the court. hundred percent. And, you know, linking that back to 
that idea around leadership communication. I think we don't give enough credit to the great coaches for their communication skills. Like it doesn't all just happen for the Patriots. Like if if you get in the trenches and, and understand what it takes to essentially change the game plan every single week. And you think about that from a communication perspective and an understanding perspective, that's what we don't give enough credit to, to Belichick and his coaching staff for, um, because they're salty on TV, you kind of take that in and you're like, Oh geez, not, not a great communicator or doesn't want to be. But when you, the actual artistry of pulling all that together is almost purely communication. Yeah, very much so. Like, yeah, and I was just gonna say, like with Belichick, like he's extremely awkward on camera. Like he hates the media. He doesn't want to be interviewed. He hates being there. He hates that he has to be there, right? But behind closed doors, like we don't we don't see his the the how he communicates. But he does something that the team has bought into that has shown in their performance year after year after year. No matter how much people hate the Patriots, and I'm probably up there. Uh, that's still like they're doing something that works and a lot of it comes down to how they're communicating and how they're creating culture. I love this. And I love that you've stepped up and, and, and going to take this baton and, and teach us all how to become a successful speaker. And I say that deliberately because you've got a new book coming out called the successful speaker. Give us the Coles notes on that. And then I want to dive into some of the, the actual points in the book and, and, uh, and build on it for the audience. So tell yeah, us like, where did it come from? Yeah. So the book is it's called The Successful Speaker, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid and Building Your Platform. And so we basically break down what we call the Speaker Success Roadmap. So this makes the acronym SPEAK, S-P-E-A-K. And basically, again, just gives people a framework, whether you want to speak um, you know, uh, uh, once a year or five times a year or a hundred times a year, uh, that's going to walk you through a, a process. Even if you're someone who says, hey, I don't, I have zero desire to be paid as a speaker, but I got to give a couple presentations, you know, to my team or my staff or my company or whatever. And I just need to know how to be a better speaker. Uh, we got several chapters in there on, you know, using slides or preparing your talk or practicing or uh, storytelling or humor or the environment or lighting or all these different variables and factors that go into what makes a great presentation. We, we outline all that. So again, we want it to be a, a handbook and a guide. It's more than just, a, you know, you kind of read through cover to cover. You can certainly do that and, uh, and be done. But we also know that for a lot of people who are giving uh, presentations on a regular basis, and again, regular meaning once a year or once every couple of years or you know once a week, you know, and you just need some help to think through how to best deliver a message and how to best communicate, then it's definitely a handbook that you can continue to to refer back to over over time. Much needed, and you know, for my audience, one of the most consistent questions that I get now with the podcast and and some of the things that that i've done and the the content that i've created is should i start a podcast and and so they they just asking the question but kind of an unintended um offshoot of that is if you have a podcast that people like they're going to ask you to speak and so once you start putting your message out there you know these things can snowball really quickly and so i would encourage people to think about this a lot earlier on in the the phase of you know, wanting to start creating content because yeah, once you do write a book, once you do start a podcast, someone is going to come to you and, and offer this to you. They're going to love your content. So really think about what, what Grant's putting out here and, and we'll actually dive in and, and give some, some hints and tips here as well. Cause I'm early on in my speaking career. So this is going to resonate with me. So take me through the, the five steps on a, on a high level Grant. Yeah. So uh, again, it makes the acronym speak. S-P-E-A-K. So the first part, the S, is select a problem to solve. Select a problem to solve. And this comes down to basically two things. One is who is it that you speak to? 
Who is it that you speak to? And this is a part where both of these you really want to be specific and clear on who you on on uh, both sides of the equation. So who is it that you speak to? So you can't say, well, I just I just speak to people. You know, I speak to humans. Like that that doesn't work. Okay. <laughs> Even if you said, well, I speak to, I just speak to women. Okay. Well, that's great, but that's, that's still like half the world's population. So we want to narrow it down and be clear about who it is that you speak to. The second part of the equation is, uh, is the, basically what, what is the problem that you solve? What is the result that you deliver? You are in the result delivering problem solving business. So what's the problem that you can solve? So if someone were to ask you, what, what do you speak about? What you don't want to say is, what do you want me to speak about? Or I can speak about anything like that doesn't work. You want to speak about a specific problem and to a specific audience and not try to be all things to all people. So, excuse me, one thing we say all the time and we tell our students is you want to be the steakhouse and not the buffet. Be the steakhouse and not the buffet. What we mean by that is if Cody, if we were going to go grab a bite to eat, we were looking for a good steak, like we have a choice. We can go to a, we can go to a buffet where they have you know steak and a hundred other things, all of which are mediocre. Or we could go to a steakhouse where that's all they do. They are the best at that. You know, they do one thing and they do it really, really well. Uh, so that's what you're trying to do as a speaker. You're trying to be this one specific, uh, solve this one specific problem for this one specific audience instead of trying to be all things for all people. That makes a huge, huge difference in and of itself. So a way to think about this is, again, let's take a sports analogy. So, um, you know, if you're a coach of a football team, and you're holding tryouts and someone comes to you and they're, and you're asking them, you know, what position they play. And they're like, oh, what position do you want me to play? Like, I can, I can play anything, you know, I can play offense. I can play defense. I can play special teams. I can, uh, I can throw, I can catch, I can block, I can tackle, I can do all the things. And you're just kind of like, yeah, probably not. You know, there's like, what you want is like, actually I'm the best, uh, left tackle you're ever going to find like this one very specific thing that maybe not a lot of people can do, but like that, that, that person is the best at it. That's what you want to be positioned as a speaker. Cause it's counterintuitive. We think it is. that, Hey, the more, uh, the more things I can speak about or the more people I can speak to, or as a football player, the more positions I can play, the more skill sets I have, the more valuable I am. The opposite is actually the case. Like we don't want an athlete that can play both ways. We don't want an athlete that can play a whole bunch of positions. We want one athlete that can play one position and they are extremely, extremely good at it. That's exactly what you want to try to do as a speaker is not try to be all things to all people. You want to solve again one specific problem for one specific audience. Seth Godin calls it smallest viable audience, yeah. I think. I would encourage, so I did this poorly because I tried to be that everything to everyone. And now a couple of years in, you know, really refined message, really refined outcomes and it's, it's been smaller and smaller audiences every single time, which actually creates a larger and larger audience. Again, yeah. it's so counterintuitive, but that's just the way it works. It, it very much is. Yeah. Cause it's also easier for people to then find you. Right. Yes. Um, because now again, we're, we're talking about um, let, let's go back to the football analogy. If um, let, let's say even beyond football, if someone asks, what sport do you play? And, you, and you're like, what sport do you want me to play? I can play any sport. Right. Um, then like that, that's not going to work. Then when, you know, some friends are getting together and they're like, Hey, uh, you know, our, uh, our softball team has an opening. We're looking for someone who's really good. And they're like, well, I, I got a friend who plays softball and they play flag football and they play golf and they play all these things. And you're kind of like, oh, I don't know. Are they any good at this one thing? You know, versus someone who's like, actually, I got a, I got a ringer for us. Well, like this person plays softball all the time. They're obsessed with it. They're amazing. This is who we need to bring on the team, right? It's just a difference in uh, like someone being specialized in focus versus trying to be like all things for all people. 
And the reality is when you have that specialization and you have it nailed down, the other people are going to listen anyway. So for instance, you know, I speak to head coaches, which is different from an assistant coach It's different from a strength and conditioning coach, but they're going to listen anyway. And the yeah. executives at sports teams are going to listen. The general managers are going to listen. The athletic directors are going to listen and the business world is going to listen, but it, you still need to find that smallest viable audience. And it can be tiny. Like the, the thing that I always remember is Gary Vaynerchuk and he talks about, he gives this presentation early, early days. And he's like, if you're into Smurfs, Smurf it up. And but he's like, dominate the Smurfs. Like if you're going to be yeah. a Smurfs historian, like tri- triple and quadruple down on that and Smurf it up is kind of the thing that I keep telling myself. I'm like, this is getting too broad. Go yeah. narrower, 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 narrower. Well, and let me give you two quick examples on that. One, let's take Gary, for example. So Gary today as a speaker, as a personality, he speaks on a variety of different things, you know, motivation and inspiration and hustle and social media and all kinds of things. But Gary got his starts focused on one specific lane. You remember what it was? Wine. Wine. That's it. All he did, it was wine. Everything ins and outs of wine. Okay. And then he did that for a long time, like heads down on wine. And then it expanded to do some other things, right? So same type of idea. I'll give you another example. Let's take the example of Nike. Today, Nike is a multi, multi, multi billion dollar company that sells everything they can put a swoosh on. But that's not how they started. They started by creating a specific track shoe for long distance collegiate runners, right? This one specific shoe for this one specific, it's not even like, we're not even making a shoe for everyday runners. We're making this one specific shoe for a type of runner in the, in college. And then from there, it's like, okay, now we got some traction. Now let's start to expand. Let's make basketball shoes. Okay. Now let's make baseball. Now let's create basketballs. Now let's do uh, golf balls. Now let's do hats. Now let's do all these types of things. But it started with one very specific shoe made from a waffle iron for one very <laughs> specific type of audience. And then it expanded from there. Same with Gary, just started with wine and then it expanded. So you can expand over time, but you need to start narrow. Okay. So we've done S now onto P. Yeah. So the P is prepare your talk. Once you know what the problem is that you're going to solve, now we got to figure out how we're going to deliver the solution. Okay. So this is, this can come in the form of a, of a keynote or a workshop or a, a breakout or a seminar. Uh, and this is where we really get into the nuts and bolts of creating and delivering you know, the presentation itself. This is a bit of what we touched on at the beginning. We're talking about, you know, whether or not you should use slides and uh, storytelling and practicing and preparing and cadence and all these different nuances that go into speaking. That's where we, we really break that part down. Wonderful, which is uber important. But uh, yeah, I, I think we really kind of touched on that that artistry piece early on, and no doubt the book uh, breaks that down in in more detail. So let's go on to E. So the E is to establish yourself as the expert. Establish yourself as the expert. What yes. I mean by that is, okay, you've decided what's the problem that you're going to solve. I'm going to be the best left tackle on the planet. Okay, now what we need to do is we need to put our stake in the ground, you know, plant our flag and show that, let other people know that this is who you are. This is what you do. So for example, um, in order to do this, you need two key marketing tools. You need a website and a demo video, a website and a demo video. If you don't have a website in this day and age, people won't take you seriously. You don't exist. You have to have a website. We actually recommend that you use your name as the domain because as a speaker, that's part of your brand. That's part of what people are buying. They're not buying some type of third-party product or gadget or tool or, or gizmo or anything like that. They're buying, they're investing in you. You are the product. So we recommend you use your name as the domain for the, the website. The second part then is the, is the demo video. Now, 
the demo video can be can feel confusing or complicated or overwhelming but uh, it doesn't have to be. So I want you to think of it like this. A demo video is basically like a movie trailer. So anytime before you go see a movie, you always want to see the trailer, right? My wife and I would love going to see movies. We saw a couple movies over the weekend. And, but before you go, like, I, I want to see the trailer. I, I, need to, I need two or three minutes just to check out the trailer. Uh, and the point of a trailer and the point of a demo video is to make people want to see more. Make people want to see more. That's what you're trying to do with a, a demo video. Is you like uh, someone that's considering hiring you as a speaker? They, they're not going to watch a, your 60 minute talk. They're not going to watch a 45 minute talk. They're not going to watch that long video. They don't have that time. But they do have two minutes, three minutes, four minutes to watch a quick video from you just to get a sense of how, how do you communicate? How do you interact with an audience? How do you engage with an audience? How do you connect with an audience? Are you funny? Are you serious? Are you a storyteller? Uh, how do you move around the stage? I just need to get a little sense of that because you know maybe you're a great speaker. You're just not exactly what we're looking for. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but at the, at the same time, if you are uh, a phenomenal speaker, people aren't just going to take your word for it. Like you can't just tell someone like, no, I'm a great speaker. You just got to trust me. Like, nah, I can't take that risk. I'm not putting you on stage because when someone hires you, someone puts you on their stage, like they're taking a risk. They're putting their name and their reputation on the line that you are going to do a good job, that we vetted this speaker, that they are solid, that they can deliver. Like that, most people aren't going to take that risk. So they want to see a video. It doesn't have to be a long video, but just a couple minutes to see you speaking to get a sense of uh, whether or not you're a good speaker, whether or not you're a good fit for their event. So those are the two key marketing tools that every speaker, especially who wants to get paid, needs to have. You need to have a website and you need to have a demo video. That trailer element is so clutch. Like remember when Netflix, they didn't used to play, like autoplay or go mm -hmm. straight into the trailer. You yeah. used to have to actually click in and then they figured out that people would watch if they could just see 15 seconds. And so literally their, their whole user interface changed when they figured out that people would actually keep watching whatever they were on if you just gave them a 15 second snippet. So you're yeah. absolutely right. Like it, it doesn't need to be much. Like everyone thinks you've got to have these grand, you know, 10 minute uh, videos of you speaking all around the world on all these different stages, but it doesn't need to be that, especially when you're starting out. Yeah, very much so. Hey. So the A is acquire paid speaking gigs, acquire paid speaking gigs. So we've gone from select a problem to solve, prepare your talk, establish yourself as the expert, and then acquire paid speaking gigs. Now, this is the part that a lot of people are excited about, but you, again, you have to have the first few steps in place. You have to have the foundation in place before you get to this. Now, uh, once you're here, the mistake that some speakers make is, all right, I'm clear on who I speak to. I'm clear what the problem is that I solve. Uh, I have uh, my talk ready. I have my marketing materials ready, my website, my video. Um, awesome. I got it. I'm good to go. Now I just sit back and I wait for the phone to ring. Like it just doesn't work like that. Like speaking is very much a momentum business. And so in order to, to start the momentum going, you want to, you want to start reaching out to potential clients and want to, uh, want to let them know who you are and what it is that you do. Cause if you don't know, like nobody again knows that you exist. So there's a couple ways you can go about this. One is that you could, um, uh, you can find events that are already looking for speakers like you. So think about some conference or training um, that, that you've attended before. Like that, that speak, the speakers that spoke there, they didn't have to convince that organization to hire a speaker. Like that event was already planning on hiring a speaker. You just need to show them why you are a good fit. So you can, the simplest way to start with this is just through Google. So once you're clear on who you speak to, let's say that you speak to, to 
insurance agents, right? So do a quick search. Look for insurance agents conference, insurance uh, events, insurance association, insurance groups. Uh, and you can start to find a whole bunch of different events and gatherings for insurance agents, right? Or if your topic is, let's say, you know, leadership or customer service uh, or change or motivation, like you can start to find some potential events where your ideal audience would gather. From there, you can start to reach out to those event planners and start to have conversations with them about why you're a good fit and about why they should consider hiring you. So that works really well, uh, just starting the ball rolling with that. Another thing is you can connect with other speakers who are doing something similar in your space uh, to be able to refer uh, gigs back and forth from one another. And the other thing too is to, uh, once you get going, recognize that speaking leads to more speaking. Mm -hmm. Speaking leads to more speaking, meaning that every time you speak, there's potential audience members there who may be looking for a speaker or may know of someone who's looking for a speaker. You are also start to develop a word of mouth and repeat and referral business. And the other thing I'd say is that building a speaking business takes time. Like it, it's not an overnight thing of, man, I want to, I want to do this on I decide on Friday afternoon, I'm going to do this and Monday morning. I, I got a full speaking schedule. Like it just, it does, doesn't work like that. But by starting to take some small steps, you can start to move the ball forward uh, in your speaking business. But the point is, is that just having a website, just having a video, just being clear on who you speak to, just having the talk ready, like that's not enough. Like you got to start some momentum going. It starts by reaching out and, and, uh, uh, and asking for the opportunity to speak. It does snowball as well. So I'm two years into my speaking career. And like you said, it, it's such a momentum thing. Like I, I'm, almost the capacity for next year. We're recording this in late December. So my 2020 is almost full and almost all of them are from people that have seen me speak in the past at a conference yeah. and said, I need you to come and speak to my business now. Like, that was too good. Like I need like more, more depth, more detail than what you gave us there like, and just direct to my people. And so, yeah, you've got to go and do that legwork. And then it, it's, it's incredible how, it's just one person here, one person there, one person there. But you're right that the momentum just, it can shift up a gear so quickly. Yeah. And you, you made a great point there. I mean, you think about some of the events that you've got booked and they came from other events, which came from maybe another event. And it starts right. to, again, starts to have kind of this, um, this trickle down effect or this momentum effect where uh, it just kind of, again, speaking leads to more speaking. And sometimes it's, it's someone that saw you in the audience that says, Hey, you would be perfect for our events. Or I know someone that needs to hire you to come to their event or to their company. Um, or again, sometimes it's repeat stuff. I'll, I'll give you a quick example. Uh, I spoke in 2013, way back uh, at a, a conference. It was one of the biggest conferences I ever spoke at. And uh, it was an awesome event, went well. And so I got an email a couple of weeks ago from the guy who is now in charge of that event, who took over for the executive director who had retired. And uh, he emails me and says, um, hey, we'd love to have you come back. And so we have a good conversation. And I, one of the questions I asked him was like, man, you got a, you got a lot of good speaking options. Like, it's been several years. Why, why me? And he said, I was in the audience when you spoke back in 2013. He said, you did an awesome mm -hmm. job. And I remember, mm -hmm. I remember what you talked about. I remember the energy of the audience and like, we I want you to open the conference for us again. Uh, and so when back in 2013, my, my marketing strategy for 2019 for 2020 was not, and just do a really great job so that seven <laughs> years from now, someone will book you again, right? right. You, you can't really reverse engineer that. You can't bank on that or count on that, but you do enough speaking gigs and like those opportunities, they just happen, you know, and it's hard to plan for, but you build that momentum and you get a lot of that repeat referral, word of mouth, spinoff business. It's hard to, hard to calculate or count on all the time, but it does, it does happen. Oh, uh, it gives 
business-minded people, heart palpitations, like trying to figure it all out and trying to plan, totally. plan into the future. But yeah, that's just the reality of it. All right, K, hit me. So yeah, the K is to know when to scale, know when to scale. And what, what we mean by that is for those that are interested in speaking are probably also interested in writing a book or doing a course or doing coaching or doing consulting or doing all these other things. And all those things are great, but you need to figure out where does speaking fit into the mix because something's going to come first and something's going to come last. You can't do all the things at once. You can't do all the things at once. So if you want to say, hey, listen, I, I just want to speak, you know, two, three, four times a year, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But you want to make sure that you build and plan the business accordingly versus saying like, all right, I'm just, uh, I'm putting in the effort to speak two, three times a year, but I'm mad that I'm not getting booked for 30 times a year. Like that, that doesn't work, right? So you just have to think that through and figure out uh, how much speaking do I want to be doing? How does speaking fit into some of the other things that I offer? Because again, there's no like, there's no right or wrong way to do it. There's no, there's no, um, a blueprint that says you, in order to be a speaker, you have to do at least 10 gigs a year. You have to do at least 50 gigs a year. Like there's nothing that exists there. You get to define success, what success looks like. You get to make the rules for the game for yourself of what makes the most sense. So you get to decide that. So figure out what works for you and how speaking fits into everything else that you may be doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we connected through, we're in a, a group together of keynote speakers and, and just a vast array of different styles and uh, commitment levels and, you know, ins and outs of, of keynote speakers that that's their profession. Yeah. You know, it is like comedians. There are so many different ones There's, and they do different things and some are physical and some are, uh, you know, just methodical. Some do a thousand gigs a year, some do four. Um, so like even at the top of the top of the top of keynote speakers, there's so many people doing such different work yep. um, that, yeah, you, you can kind of pick and choose, but I, I completely agree with you. And that's been my, my experience as well. When I've dropped the ball, I've lost gigs and not, not picked up gigs. And, and that was even after getting a bit of a reputation, you know, people stop calling. So it's, it's on you to, to really know and plan that and, uh, and, and put effort into that because yeah, it can go away really quickly. Very much so. Yeah. So what do you love speaking about? You've done all this, you speak about a whole range of different things. You obviously train people on this. Like what makes your heart sing when you're on stage, the, the topic specifically? Yeah. So I definitely do um, a lot of speaking to entrepreneurs and business leaders around this topic of speaking. Cause again, a lot of people are interested in speaking. They just don't know what to do from there. And so it is something that I do. I still do a lot of speaking and training on. Um, I'd say the other thing like kind of outside of the speaking world is uh, I, 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 talk about this idea that who you are is more important than what you do. Who you are is more important than what you do. Meaning that if, you know, if we are great entrepreneurs, if we're great coaches, if we're great leaders, uh, if we're, if we're great in that way, but if we drop the ball as, as husbands or wives or moms or dads or uh, sons or daughters, or if we're just like the shell of a human being, like that's not worth it. Like I, I mentioned I'm, I'm, I'm married to my high school sweetheart. I've got three daughters uh, that just all four of those girls mean the world to me. So if I'm a great speaker, if I'm a great entrepreneur, but like I, I just suck as a dad or as a husband, like I'm, I'm doing it wrong. So, uh, so that's one of the things I, I love talking about is because I'm a, I'm a motivated driven guy, uh, probably just like yourself, Cody. And I, like, I want to do well in the world. I want to uh, make a dent in the world, but I don't want to do any of that at the detriment of my family. So that's those are, uh, you know, that's the, the audience that, that matters most to me. 
I love that. And then last question, then I'll, I'll let you plug the book again and, and tell us when it's out. But who, who did you look up to either like who mentored you either knowingly or unknowingly for, for, you know, this career path that you've been on? Yeah. So there were several speakers that I looked up to that I admired. Um, and so inside the book, I tell a story that was really influential about a, a speaker friend of mine, a guy I looked up to uh, named Phil. And uh, Phil is a guy who has been speaking for a long time, still a great friend, phenomenal speaker. Um, and, and he shared some great lessons with me. But the thing I've always admired and liked about Phil is like, and I've told him this uh, publicly and privately, but uh, Phil is a great speaker. He's phenomenal on stage, but he's just a great dad and he's a great husband. And that's the thing I really like about Phil is like, man, the guy just loves life and motivated, driven, entrepreneurial guy, but the guy just is a, is a great family man. And so, um, yeah, it kind of just, you know, uh, ties back into what I, I mentioned earlier that he, he is awesome at, at one thing, but he's really, really great at the other thing, the thing that really matters in, in terms of his roles off the stage. I love that. All right, mate, give us the, when's the book out, all the details, how can people find it? And then how can people find you and follow along with all the different things that you got going on? Yeah. yeah. So the, uh, the book is called The Successful Speaker, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid and Building Your Platform. The book is out February the 18th, uh, 2020. If you are listening to this before the book comes out, we uh, have several pre-order bonuses available. You can find over at thespeakerlab.com slash book, thespeakerlab.com slash book. Uh, for example, if you buy the book, we will give you the audiobook for free. So uh, kind of a two for one deal there. But again, um, uh, definitely go check out the book. You can, uh, if you like this podcast and you listen to a lot of podcasts, which I'm guessing most of your audience does, then, uh, and you want to dig deeper on the speaking topic, we've got 270 some episodes, uh, on our show called the speaker lab podcast. People can check out as well, but yeah, basically everything we do for speakers is over at the speaker lab.com. We've got, uh, again, the podcast, YouTube videos over there, blog posts, uh, several different free resources. So yeah, it's all over at, uh, the speaker lab.com. Yeah. And again, I'd, I'd really implore leaders and coaches in particular to start looking into this. Uh, and I know most of my shows kind of have something to take away. And, and this would be the thing is like, this stuff is important and, and it's out there and, and, you know, we can study um, different forms of communication and keynotes is one and comedians are, are another where we can really up our game um, in delivering messages to all the different stakeholders that, that you interact with. Um, and that goes for business leaders as well. Um, I'm picking Steakhouse and I think we should do <laughs> Nashville rather than Toronto. So I guess that means I'm coming to see you. But um, come, come to yeah, town, man. There's plenty of good options here. Your takeaway is to find the best steakhouse for us to go to when I'm in town. I can definitely do that. Steak is delicious. <laughs> Agreed. Grant Bowen, thanks, mate. I, I really appreciate this. I, I'm glad we got to connect and, and get you on the show. And uh, yeah, go out and get the successful speaker. Thanks, Cody. Appreciate it, buddy.